Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse, and I'm here with Sean Kerwin, who is a geo repairman. He does geomancy for health and homes. He says geomancy is the art of balancing, clearing, and transforming of detrimental energies. He has been called upon to go to the land, to go to any structure, and tell you what is happening on that land and in that structure. He picks up the spirit of the land, the energies of the place, and he's quite experienced. He's been dousing for over 16 years. I've been fascinated with the area of geomancy. I've always wanted to know what are these things called ley lines? What are earth energies? What are the elementals? Do angels really exist? What does the land communicate? And do you have to be born with this great faculty or is this something that's really available to other people ladies and gentlemen i'm in glastonbury england as you know welcome sean Kerwin to its rainmaking time good afternoon good afternoon it's great to be on the show thank you so much for being here and helping translate some of this i know you're an old soul some people know what that means and some people don't know what that means i know what that means what does that mean to you someone has been around the block basically <laughs> several times are so. we seniors <laughs> Well, Are we on Social Security? And the well, we should room? be. <laughs> the first question I want to ask you is to define to the best of your ability geomancy for those of us who really don't know what it is, never read about it or heard about it in school. Yeah, it's kind of the lost science of the old age, really, because geomancy is geo, the earth, mancy, divination. So it's divination of the earth. And it's how all the old civilizations constructed their temples, their sacred sites, even megalithic structures. Geomancy was employed then. We see the sacred geometry used in stone circles way before Pythagoras and his triangles. Those triangles, those same sacred geometries, were used in the design of things like Stonehenge, Avebury, some of the bigger sacred sites. Newgrange has amazing sacred geometry before Pythagoras. So it shows you this art of geomancy being used, um, well, who knows how far back it goes. It was used in all kind of traditions, Chinese, Indian, Tibetan. They have a tradition of geomancy to build their temples and stupas and things. In Greece, Rome, all the major temples, there was people designing with sacred geometry and working with the energies of the land to situate the temples. Even in Christian times, a few traditions like the Nasturtians, particularly good at sacred geometry. And if you go to any of their old abbeys and ruins, they're amazing energy because they knew how to work with the spirit of the place and the ley lines and the sacred geometry in their own architecture. And it all combines to create a really beautiful energy for worship. The Native Americans have a saying that when they go to a site, they beautify it, they make it better. And they work with the spirit and the natural lay of the land. And they enhance the natural energy with human energy to make it something really special. A place where spirits and ancestors can meet humans, even the animals as well. So the medicine wheel tradition is all over the States and it's very powerful. And that is employing some of the similar techniques that we still use. One of the things that they do that's so necessary is... They ask permission to do things in the spirit world. They don't just do, but they ask for the blessing or they ask for the bestowment of that which they want. 
That's absolutely correct. That's the fundamental thing that we've forgotten in the West. People just build housing estates. They don't ask the land if it's okay. And part of what I do is go along and kind of fix some of the problems that create by simply not asking. Because there's a lot of beings unseen and seen in the earth that get really upset if you just go and build a house on a hill, for example. That hill might be something to do with ancestors. It might be a fairy mound. You don't know what's there until you ask. There are elementals in the landscape which can get really upset by people just building. And they can create problems for people. What would a problem be, for example? Well, things breaking down, nothing working, particular areas of a house where things flood or accidents happen, arguments break out, all kinds of things. Keys going missing is a classic fairy symptom. And all these things, not just elementals, of course, can be spirits. We've all seen the horror movies. You build a house on a Native American burial ground, you're in for a rough time because the spirits aren't happy. And so with the disrespect of the land and to what was there previously, you can get into a lot of trouble. And it can even translate into illness, things like cancer and stuff like that, caused by being in that particular place. So it is serious, and a lot of people overlook the impact that not only spirits but also earth energies can have on someone's health, particularly in the UK. In other countries, it's more understood. I'm not entirely sure, but I think some of the Scandinavian countries, maybe Sweden and some of the others, are more aware of this because of their natural geology. They generally get a geomancer to come and survey the land before they built. Of course, there's a big tradition there with trolls and elves and dwarves from the Norse tradition. They take it seriously. It's not something to be just laughed at because these things do exist and they wouldn't be written about and told over generation and generation if they were just fairy stories. These beings do exist. Do you think that some of the audience may be hearing some of this as kind of a different form of feng shui, if you will? I'm not a feng shui expert, I don't claim to be. But I know enough geomancy to know that feng shui originally did deal with the earth energies and the spirits. So they looked at the dragon lines, they looked at underground water. In the West, feng shui is about what colour walls you have and where you put your wind chime. Feng shui is used before you build the house. So you get your house with the mountain in the north, the lake at the front, you get it in the right situation where it's getting the most light, and you work with the natural energies so you're not creating disturbance. And that's the real feng shui. Before you even build a house, you do the feng shui, and then you build the house in accordance with the feng shui principles. And that, then, is really powerful. But what we're doing is playing catch-up. So you get feng shui people coming in, and they're, they're manipulating the energy because the house wasn't built with feng shui. There is no consideration, there's no asking permission to build the house. And these things have an effect. Nine times out of ten, it's probably okay to build a house. But because you don't ask, it's spirits of the place and the landscape. They get irritated. And if you put it on something which is key to the kind of elemental world, then you're in for a rough ride. Can you describe what the elemental world is for those of us who don't understand what it is, just to the best of your ability? Give us a frame of reference, at least. My understanding is that elementals are primarily of the four elements, earth, air, fire and water. And you have different beings, if you like, that represent those, like dragons are common, so are things like horses, griffins, kind of mythical creatures are common representation of elementals. Is a fairy an elemental? 
it's what you call a nature spirit, and its element is life itself. It's primarily associated with plant life. Nature spirits are literally that, spirits of nature. So they're spirits of living things, spirits of leaves, trees, forests, mushrooms, and there's various classifications of them, gnomes, trolls, fairies, well, there's a whole bunch of them. They all have different functions within nature. They're primarily concerned with nature. It's like fairies are akin to the bees. They like ensure the fertility process so that if you imagine them energetically supervising the flowering and the regrowing of seeds, that's kind of what fairies are. They look very much like bees. And if anyone has felt them, there's intense kind of high energy giggling, very much heart chakra energy. And that's their nature because it's all about a fertility, abundance, and the propagation of life. Talk a little bit about the angels. Some people really receive that they exist, and some people can't believe it at all. And I'd like to know your understanding of what angels are and your relationship to angels as of this time. I really didn't know what angels were until I started training as a geomancer. Who trained you, by the way? Where did you learn? I was taught by a very good guy called Patrick McManaway and he lives up in Vermont. He started me on this journey in 2001. He kind of threw me in at the deep end. I was going to do a course of his, and that got cancelled, so I ended up apprenticing with him. Oh, great. So I got thrown in the deep end, and... <laughs> and a lot Never of the, been the same. Well, no. <laughs> How did I know? But one of the things, I was starting to work with all these energies, and there are some things that you come across... We call it trauma in the landscape. For example, if there's a battle that has happened, that battle leaves an imprint. All the destruction and the killing leaves an imprint in the land, and people can feel that. If people lived, for example, in that battle site, there would be violence happening. Things would try and replay. And it's not because there are loads of spirits of the dead people. It's because the energy of the trauma that happened. It's still in the space. It's still in the space. It's held. Held in the matrix of the energetics of the space. And the same thing happens for good things. So, for example, when you go to a temple that's been really used, you feel amazing. So it works both ways. But when there's real trauma, that's when you need kind of extra help to remove that because it can take a long time to remove that if you're just working with yourself. But an angel will do that in a fraction of a second. By request? By request, yeah. So I started working with Archangel Michael. And, and explain who that is. My understanding, Archangel Michael is the kind of chief angel, head honcho of the angels in this solar system, shall we say. And he oversees the protection of the planet, amongst other things, very linked to the sun consciousness. And his role is literally to protect and to ensure evolution continues. He's very much to do with that consciousness of evolution, not just for humans, but for all beings. And one of the things he's very good at is dealing with trauma, particularly leftover trauma from the past. My understanding is that they can't just act on their own behalf. They have to be asked by us. And that's the key. That's one of the things I talk about in my geomancy teachings, the law of free will. They can't interfere unless we ask. So angels can help you, but you have to ask them. Do you think there are angels for everything? I think there are spirits for everything. I would say that it's more like nature spirits than angels. 
on earth, angels are heavenly, nature spirits are earthly. It's almost the same thing. You have the same sort of hierarchies in nature spirits as you do in angels. So you have a, a diva, which is in charge of a certain area of the earth. Then you have a landscape angel. It's still a diva, it's still of the earth, but it's in charge of a lot of divas. So that's how it works. It's a kind of hierarchy. And the same is true for angelic hierarchy. I generally work with the archangels, not necessarily individual angels. And the distinction between an angel and an archangel is what? Because I've always wanted to know. Archangel is a chief of angels. Connecting with an archangel, you're basically asking for an angel to come because that's what the archangel will do, is send an angel. But my experience with, with Michael, I started working with him and tuning into him with my teacher's help. And then I thought, well, I'm doing all this work with Michael, and I just thought, what are you? And the message I got back is, we're the hands of God. Very simple. Beautiful. Very simple, very concise. That's it, simple, that's all you need to know. But now, of course, I've gone into it a bit deeper. So they're the activating principle of the creator on earth. Let's take, for example, an area that you may have gone to that there was a lot of trauma, and it's still in that place and active. And you go in as a geomancer and you call upon Michael, and what happens? And you're dousing, right? All this is backed up by dowsing. I'm not just channeling or being fluffy. You know, I'm dowsing the energy fields and making sure that this is happening. And for people who don't necessarily believe what I'm saying, this is what I do. I teach people to experience it for themselves, to work with the angels, to work with nature spirits, to work with the spirit of the land. It's all dowsable. It is all dowsable. You can feel them. You can feel the energy. You can feel the auric field of a fairy, if you want, sitting on your hand. I've taught that quite a few times. Even at festivals, I teach that. When you go to a, a site like that, what you're trying to do is, in a way, reset it to its natural harmonious state. There's no kind of ego agenda. All you're trying to do is harmonise. Obviously, there are lots of these trauma sites around, but you only generally get called for the ones where people are having problems. Have you ever walked into a site and been so uncomfortable or so afraid you didn't want to go there? That used to happen. Now I kind of get, before I get there, I know that something's real bad. So I kind of get forewarning, if you like. And then I can do some remote work before I even get there, which is handy. Talk a little bit about that remote work. It's kind of remote viewing, but it's not. It's working with the, the spirit of place. Each area of the earth, it's hard to divide it up, but essentially an area will have what they call a spirit of place, genus loci. And that genus loci has all the information of what's happened in that space. I'm not sure if you'd call it a diva or an angel or what you'd call it, but it's literally the collective consciousness of that area. Okay. So you work with that, and you can douse and interact with that and ask it questions. You know, what's wrong? Is there anything I can do? By asking simple yes and no questions, you hone in on the real issue, and then you can work on that. So, for example, it might be some bad underground water. Underground water is a classic of creating problems for people because of the geopathic stress. What is geopathic stress? Geopathic stress is upwelling of primarily positive ions in a field, kind of like a ray coming up. And those rays can deplete our immune system. They can create immune problems, even cancers. It's basically free radicals coming up from the earth as a ray. Some people can measure it. There are people who have developed equipment to measure this. Do you think it's reliable? Yeah, it seems to be. 
most people think when they talk about dowsing is finding underground water. And part of the reason that underground water is so easy to find for dowsers is because of these rays, these... Um, Geopathic stress points? Yeah, exactly. Because it is different to the normal ambience of chi of the land. So where you have these underground water, and it can be a couple of hundred feet down, it'll still have an effect. And when you walk over it, you'll feel it. And I do this in my workshops, teach people how to feel this, and they can feel all kinds of things, energy being sucked through their feet, back of their head heating up, pains in the back, pains in the side, pains in the stomach. The one thing that we know from Emoto is that water carries memory. So if something... And Jack Benveniste. originally was the one who proved it yeah but the memory the water carries depends on where it goes so if it goes through a battle site then it's going to pick up the memory of that battle and carry it down wherever it goes part of the problem is with water although it's great underground water isn't so great because it can pick up all these things but not just human trauma it can also pick up things like radon which is from granite and things, which is radioactive, and also some toxic things like arsenic and zinc and some of the other... Even mercury. Mercury, exactly. So it can pick up all these elements. And that, that cocktail, remember this water is underground, is under pressure. It's moving up generally to come out. What happens is in this cocktail, when it's under pressure, sometimes it can be even heated, it radiates this energy. It's geopathic stress, and that can cause a lot of problems for people. My own experience with my grandparents, before I trained, both my grandparents died. My grandmother died of stomach cancer, and a year later, my granddad died of bowel cancer. And the thing they had in common was that after my grand died, my granddad slept in her bed. And through her bed, there was one of these underground water veins carrying this energy that went right through where the stomach would be. Over time, particularly when you're old, you're less resistant to these energies. And basically what happened was that he, because of the grief and because of the water, he developed the same sort of symptoms as as she did. What is a ley line and what is a dragon line? And talk about the other lines as well, please. My understanding of ley lines are straight lines of etheric chi charged by the sun. That's the simplest definition. And they link various places. They can be small, four foot wide, to about 20, 25 foot wide. And they are, from what I understand, a standing wave of etheric energy. They can reach quite high altitudes, depending on the strength of the line. So they're etheric lines. Generally, when you stand on them, you can feel super grounded and really strong. That's one of the ways to know if you're on a ley line. They're earth energies, so they resonate with our base chakra, generally. Although they can have harmonics of higher energy. Generally, I use my own body as a scale, using the chakras as a scale. So you can have a ley line, which is kind of resonating with your heart, for example. And that would be kind of a greenish colour, etherically. Although the line itself would still be predominantly base chakra. But the overlay would be resonating with the heart. So ley lines are the primary way in which I see that the sun's energy and life energy gets around the planet. It's not regular, it's quite haphazard. Some people try and make them into lattices and all the rest of it, but I think they're quite random. They're more to do with linking up different lines and different places. So you might have sacred sites. How they were first discovered was Alfred Watkins seeing the lay of the land 
and he noticed that certain things, certain features, certain mounds, mountains, churches, all were on this one axis. So he called them a lay. And uh, later, dowsers came along and found that they actually had dowsable energy on them. And so the ley line was born. The big ones often have at least five features on. So they have a couple of churches, maybe a spring, holy well, a mound, or a standing stone. They'd all be on that line. And they can be old or new sites. Obviously, there's a lot of churches in the UK, so a lot of ley lines go through a lot of churches. And that's primarily because the church builders knew about geomantic techniques and dowsing, so they would find the places of high energy to build their churches. And when you think about it, that's why so many churches are on ley lines. Dragon lines are what the Chinese call ley lines. But there is another type of line which is called the telluric current. I don't know if you heard of the Michael Mary line. Yes, through France? Not through France. No. Through here? Through Glastonbury. Uh, Hamish Miller, well-known dowser, and Paul Broadhurst discovered this Michael Mary current. And there are two currents, male and female, and they flow like a caduceus. Caduceus is like serpents intertwining. And they cross at nodal points, and these nodal points happen to be quite famous sacred sites. So one of them is obviously Glastonbury Abbey, the Tor, and different places around Glastonbury, they cross... There's another place called Borough Mump, which is another tour across there. It goes across the southern half of Britain. It goes through Avebury, through Cambridge, Royston Caves, another particularly well-known site, Masonic site, Wandlebury Ring, and it ends up going to Bury St Edmunds and out to sea and over to North Germany. This line, because of the male and female components intertwining, is like a dragon line. So for me, a dragon line would be one of these lines, the line with telluric currents. And people have plotted this around the planet. Interestingly, this particular line goes very near the Azores, where you have the island of San Miguel and Santa Maria, again, Michael Mary, and across to the island of the Sun in Peru. And then around, and it goes through Australia comes back across Bali, through a bit of China, and of all places ends up going through Moscow before it comes back through North Germany and an island called Bromheim before it comes into Britain again. These are called great circles. There's an old saying that I think it's either 12 or 16 great circles around the planet that the Druids knew about. So there are these great dragon lines, if that's what you're talking about, I don't know. I had just heard in Glastonbury that Glastonbury had a very important dragon line. That's the Michael Mary coming. That's the Michael Mary. Yeah. Because it holds the consciousness of male and female. In Glastonbury, it does some quite weird things. It actually, the Michael line crosses on the zebra crossing. The zebra crossing in this country is where you walk across the road, specifically. But it crosses there. So it's following the people across the road. So what does that mean to you? I'm kind of confused. That it's conscious. Is conscious. I mean, I've doused it in other places. It goes through a church in Ogborn St. George, a Mary Chapel there. And the Mary line, in that case, goes around the pews of the church. And they're wooden pews, they're not stone pews. We followed it. The whole bunch of dowsers went there. We followed it around the pews. So it's joining in with the congregation, which is quite amazing. That is amazing. They've also been known to go to crop circles. And the crop circles are near the line, the line will move off its normal path and go into the crop circle before coming back to its regular path. 
this tells me a few things. One, it's seeking consciousness, seeking out like consciousness. Mary Current in particular is seeking more yin consciousness, so it seeks holy wells, particularly Mary chapels. The Michaeline is seeking out more yang consciousness, so it's the tops of mountains, crosses, church towers, so it's looking for the yang component. But, you know, they're very kind of friendly and interactive with people. And that says that they're carrying something more. Maybe they're carrying some sort of earth consciousness. They can be seen as dragons themselves and actually interacted with, if you want to go on that level. Where they meet is the predominantly quite profound places. And a lot of people get a lot of realisation and different things clicking into place at these places where the lines meet because there's an alternate consciousness there, the higher consciousness. And that can trigger kind of spiritual awakenings and all kinds of mad things happening. The number of people you meet on Glastonbury High Street is phenomenal. It's more than coincidence. And where people meet is quite significant because it's usually on one of the lines that they're meeting. (laughs) And you can actually watch it. And anyone who lives in Glastonbury will say, you end up meeting people you haven't seen for years. And it's just you happen to be on the line meeting this person in Glastonbury. And there are other places like that where things converge. And I think those are high consciousnesses of lines meeting and they attract coincidence far more than average. Name a few other places you experienced that. There's a place in Edinburgh near Newington that was a health food shop and it was particularly high energy there. And you could meet everyone just within 50 yards. You'd meet everyone you needed to meet that day. You'd just go there and meet them. Where do we go? (laughs) You're not telling. No. (laughs) You're very secretive. (laughs) Well, I'm sure there are places in London... There are places all over, but people know the places because they go there to meet everyone else because they know everyone else is going to be there. But, yeah, Glastonbury High Street is a classic. If you ask anyone from Glastonbury, you can meet all kinds of people on the high street. Uh, It's really far out sometimes. And that's because of the consciousness of these lines. The other kind of lines I work with are called the grids. There are lots of different types of grid, but the main two grids that geomancers uh, work with are the Curry and Hartman. These are the grids that reflect kind of everyday consciousness. And Curry and Hartman grids are everywhere. The unique thing about the Hartman grid is it is aligned north, south, east, west. So if you imagine a checkerboard, the grid is like that. They're about four and a half feet apart, these lines. They run positive, negative, positive, negative, And they basically cover everything. But the real interesting thing for me is that the ancients knew how to work with them. If you go to a standing stone or a stone circle, you'll find a hole in the Hartman grid where the standing stone is. And they knew how to work with this energy. My theory about that is because the Hartman grid reflects everyday energy and they wanted to create a space which was taking it into an altered state. So what they would do was make a hole so that when you went into that, the everyday reality was kind of left behind and you can douse for the Hartman grids particularly in temples in Egypt and other places and you'll find that they're outside they're not inside the temples the same with stone circles a lot of stone circles don't have Hartman grids in and even a lot of earlier churches won't have Hartman grid in because you're going into an altered space and my friend Stefan Cardinot actually found a Celtic church by dowsing the grids 
He went and doused the grids and found this church-shaped grid hole in a flat field. And then later they came along with the ground-penetrating radar and found the walls of the church in the field. Oh, my God. And the walls matched the grids exactly. So he found a church just from the grids. And it's all documented on his website. What, what is his name again? Stefan Cardinal. Cardinal? Yeah. Yeah. And is he here in England? Or? No, he's in Switzerland. He teaches geobiology. He's very good as well. So learning that from him meant that I could come around Britain and look at some of the sacred sites here. And you find that the major sites all have an absence of the Hartman grid. The Hartman, I suppose i explain it, is an electromagnetic grid. It's attuned to our electromagnetic energy field, the electromagnetics of the Earth. So that, for me, is really exciting. Very Almost a new path to discovery. Well, yeah. You could take it to pretty much anywhere, Egyptian desert or anything, and where you find holes in the grids, you know that there was something there, usually something quite profound. Because normal structures don't change the grid. I mean, they'll flow through it. Like a house will have Hartman grids going right through it. But if there's something of significance, some sort of ceremonial usage or spiritual usage, the Hartman grid will wrap around. Outside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But only if you can do it. But the ancients did know how to do that. I've been in churches today and the Hartman grid goes right through. They're not... Not the same. Not the same. You had talked a little bit about earth acupuncture and it sounds very, very interesting. Could you say a little something about that? Is that part of a healing modality? Yeah, I mean, it's essentially the same as acupuncture, but on a bigger scale because you're using the earth. And generally... One of the ways to deal with underground water, which I was just talking about, is to use earth acupuncture. Earth acupuncture can be, well, a needle. It's usually wooden, although you can use metal. Iron needles work well. And you find a place along the line where the chi dips dramatically, and that is called a nodal point. So it's a place where the energy is being sucked down really powerfully. And that point is an access point into that water vein energetically. And it's the same the way that acupuncture needles release chi. You do the same thing. You put a needle in, you allow the chi to rise up through the needle and dissipate into the atmosphere. When you use the word chi, do you also mean ether? Or are you meaning something else? It's etheric energy, yes. Okay. I would say that. Prana, chi. If you understand the Chinese, some of the Chinese medicines, there's lots of different types of chi. The chi I'm actually talking about is sha chi, which is a depleting chi. It's kind of yin depleting, and that's the feng shui master would tell you the same thing. But the sha chi is the damaging one. There's lots of chis which are good. So this is actual energy, and if you stood by the needle when it was releasing, you would get ill. There's no two ways about it. Sometimes it's like a champagne bottle. You put it in and run, and it releases the chi. Wow. It can take half an hour sometimes longer, and the energy, the shachi, will release. What this energy actually is, is a combination of disturbed memory. So it's traumatized memory coming out from the earth along this line. So it could be either human, it could be geological, but it's all mixed up, mashed up, and it's not cohesive. So it's chaotic, basically. When that's done, what I normally do is do a blessing, and imagine love and gratitude going into the earth at that point. And from Emoto's work, we know love and gratitude made the most beautiful water crystals. And so that emotion, that energy 
put back in to kind of end the process and that's it when you walk across that line you won't feel the pulling of the energy you won't feel discomfort it feels normal it actually feels happy where do you feel are some of the happiest places on earth in your experience of travels and just what people have told you and do you think there are that many happy or life enhancing life enhancing I think. I like your distinction. Yeah, because happy is a state of mind. Right, it's, right, it's, true, that's true. But yeah, some of the most life-enhancing places are things like springs, tops of mountains, beautiful lakes, forests. Uh, in terms of human-made things, some of the stone circles in this country are particularly beautiful. In Britain? Yeah. There's Avebury Stone Circle, which is one of my favourites in Why? Wiltshire. Because it's very much a heart place. The energy is very soft and it's very nurturing. It's a real energy centre. It's not just the stone circle. There's a whole landscape around it that's been used for thousands of years. There's burial mounds. There's Silbury Hill, which is like a tour, very powerful place. There's other stone circles around. There's avenues of stones. It's a huge complex. It must have been used by our ancestors to put that much energy into a landscape that must have held it in really high regard. What did you feel when you went there? Just held is the only way to describe it, held and nurtured. It's a beautiful place. It's so big that there's actually a town inside it, and the stones are huge. They're rough stones, not like Stonehenge, which is sculpted. The stones in Avebury are kind of natural-looking. But it's a powerful place. It's a place of the sun and moon. It's combining a lot of things together there. There's two circles within the circle. There's a sun circle and a moon circle because the ancients celebrated both sun and moon. And there's 99 stones, big stones, around the outside. And it's a henge as well, so there's a ditch and bank. It's a really special place if you get a chance. I'll go. I'll go, yeah. And there's a few other circles which I really like. Castle Rig, near the Scottish borders, is just spectacular. The circle is quite small, but when you're standing in the circle... You feel like you're on the top of the world because the views from that place are absolutely stunning. And my other really favourite place is Kalanish Stone Circle on the Isle of Lewis, and that is far out. It's like being in the other world. It's a lunar circle. It's one of the few circles that measures the lunar standstills. It's an 18-and-a-half-year cycle of the moon. So if you go there at the standstill and you come back 18 years later, you'll see the moon in exactly the same place. Wow. That place is like being in another world. So that's another of my favourites. You ever been to Tibet or Nepal? Or... No, I haven't been there, but I have studied Buddhism. I was quite into Buddhism when I was much younger, and I deeply respect their culture and have a, probably a good understanding of why they do certain things. Working with some of the energies that I have to work with, it's good to have additional helpers, so some of the Buddhist deities come in handy now and then. I have a question about the ancestors that you refer to you know, when you're doing a healing or a blessing on the land. Yeah. Who are the ancestors that you're referring to when you speak of the ancestors? I just wanted to clarify that. Well, the people who have gone before. At that location? Yeah. It can be people who are stuck and that's another one of the things I do, is to deal with people who get stuck and don't move on. You mean uh, beings whose spirits hang around a particular yeah. place, maybe their loved one was there, yeah. something bad There's There's there. always a reason, but for whatever reason, they haven't moved to the next world where they should be. They're stuck in the earth plane, or the etheric plane, or the lower astral, or whatever you call it. 
But yeah, soul rescue, spirit rescue, spirit release. I'm often called in to do that. I did one down in Cornwall the other day. Like 14 spirits stuck in a barn. <laughs> God. For all kinds of different reasons. But interestingly, it's often in a combination with disturbed earth energy. So where you have disturbed earth energies like underground water or some sort of disturbed blocked ley line or grid line or whatever it is, kind of sets up a vortex and then the spirits get drawn into that and they can use that energy to create effect. So a lot of so-called poltergeist activity is primarily down to there being disturbed earth energies which the spirits can use. I was told by a dowser that before you drill for water, a good dowser will ask if it's okay to get the water from the land. Now, how they know that is a whole other thing, but asking is key. But if somebody has an agenda and they just want to drill, they're just going to drill, right? Yeah, but things can go wrong in that scenario. If you ask, then you're not going to have any interference, generally. Most people who are respectful will ask, even if you're cutting a branch of a tree, you know, people will ask, is it okay if I take this branch? Cutting down trees without permission does create a similar sort of thing because you're not only cutting down the tree but you're also dishoming a lot of spirits and nature spirits that are in the tree a tree isn't just a tree it's got all kinds of communities involved some are insect some are living and some are etheric so the same goes when you're drilling into a underground water vein you're actually disrupting a natural flow of energy across the landscape if you think that we're now at a time in which there's, what, 7 billion people on Earth? And you think about how much drilling has been done, how much construction has been done, how much interference into the Earth there's been all over the world. It's no wonder that there's a kind of state of discord or disharmony or upset or unworkability. Yeah. Well, that... I think a lot of the elementals are just assume that people don't know about them or don't care about them. Certainly when I've interacted with some, they're so surprised that I'm interacting with them that they're just in total shock. I've had it a few times where <laughs> they've gone to get all their mates because they don't believe that a human has actually taken the time and trouble to interact with them. It can be quite funny at times. But we've lost the reverence for the planet, basically. And we just think it's we can just exploit and do what we like. And unfortunately, the planet doesn't agree. If it goes on and keeps getting worse, things are going to start happening. Accidents and things like that. Because the elementals are really pissed off, particularly with fracking. Fracking is the worst thing ever. Describe what fracking is. Some of us know what it is and some of us don't know what it is. It's basically finding shale and extracting the gas from the shale. And they, they drill holes and they pump down gallons and gallons of water. Sometimes it's mixed with chemicals, sometimes it's not and they crack the shale so that the gas can flow back out. You know, there's two things that are happening there. One is that you're actually poisoning the underground water streams with whatever chemicals you're putting in, which will be in that for God knows how many years. So they're poisoning the underground water. So that means anyone with a well nearby will be getting poisoned water out of it. There are whole areas in Australia, you know, Google it, that people, you can't farm it because the cows getting water from the boreholes are dying. Serious problem. And the other thing is that you're creating geological instability by making all these fractures. And not only is that energetically bad in terms of geomancy and how the earth energies work, but it's also 
can create earthquakes, and that's been happening as well. After fracking, there are earthquakes because of the fractures in the rock. So it's really the worst thing. It's probably worse than having a nuclear reactor. It's going to affect water, and our primary water is the source of life on this planet. Our primary water is the deep underground water. Everything uses that primary water. Primary water is key to all life, all rivers, all springs. That primary water feeds all of it. And you're not talking about aquifer water. It is, but it's deeper than that. Primary water is really deep. And if that primary water gets polluted with these chemicals, that's it. You're talking about a centralized infection, really. Well, if there's enough chemicals pumped into the earth, it's going to really mess things up. It's going to start killing forests, farmland, cows everything. It's really, really, really bad. And the other thing, of course, it does is that it releases gas into the water. There's a documentary I saw, and they turned on the tap from the borehole, and then lit it, and it was burning. (laughs) So they had a tap that was just basically, the water was saturated with gas, and when it came out, you just light it. Fracking is literally poisoning the earth and creating instability, geological instability. It's heinous. Heinous, really heinous. Do you think it's reversible? Or do you think the fracking that's been done and the damage and collateral damage that is done, we're not going to be able to reverse it? I don't know enough to say. You would have to pump down some sort of compound to neutralize those chemicals. But then you've still got the geological damage and you're still going to get earthquakes and shocks and stuff like that. I don't know. It's really bad. I have a geomancy question. You know how some of the presidential spaces in the world, like in Washington, D.C., and in other locations, are put in a certain location for a certain reason, Mm. also based on the celestial configuration of things? Mm. You've heard this, yes? Mm. Let us suppose that there is a real obvious abuse of power happening in presidential locations in different countries. Is it possible to call upon geomancers to help impact that place or those places for the better? I mean, it depends what's emanating out of it. Let's say deception, corruption, fraud, criminality, the whole bit. What my approach would be to look at the Earth energies actually coming out to see what state they were in and possibly to heal some of those lines. Can we bring you to Washington, (laughs) D.C.? I need you to do some earth acupuncture right there. (laughs) It's beyond party line. What do you think? It's a difficult one. It's the law of free will. If if people want to do that, then I don't want to jump up and down on them and say you can't. What I would do is to do things for the benefit of all beings, to heal those lines. If there is corruption, what have you, what you can do is when you heal the line, it makes their consciousness change because they're obviously in the place or whatever. By healing the line, you can heal the atmosphere which they're in, which will then percolate through into their consciousnesses to make them better people. And I think that's the way to approach rather than head-on, is to heal the spaces. Ultimately, if you want to be healed, you ask for it. And if they're not asking for help or whatever, you can't interfere. If I went and found a hospital that was really, really bad and had real problems. Uh, Because it's a public building, I wouldn't have a problem in working on some of the lines to heal the hospital. So I'd work on the ley lines, I'd work on underground water lines and make them more harmonious. 
so that the hospital could also reflect that. But some of these places, they're creating stress. That's what they do. Right. Things like mobile phone towers, they just create stress. <laughs> they're beaming it out in all directions. So it's difficult. I generally try and limit my work to the natural world rather than the human world. But I do help people in their houses. And if people were experiencing discomfort or illness as a result of, say, being on a line from Washington, then I would help. I'm just giving Washington, D.C. as an example because I'm from the United States. Yeah. But it could be anywhere. Well, there are a lot of these places. There are a lot of these places. What you're talking about is kind of geoengineering. I'm not, I'm not really... Well, I'm not really. Not geoengineering as I understand it. But, I mean, but, geoengineering to me is the spraying of the air and spraying chemicals down on us. And I understand from your view what you're saying. I just more mean in places of leadership where millions of people are being impacted, they may be sitting, there are structures where they're spending their time, whether it's Congress or the Senate or the President, Vice President, him or herself, may be on ley lines that are antithetical to service, may be antithetical to leadership, and many, many things that are in the influence base. Okay, if we're going to go into this, then some of these places have deliberately been done to make these lines that way. That's my experience, that they manipulate the lines and they use them for, and I don't know who's doing it, and I don't particularly want to know, to be okay. honest. But if they're working with a particular consciousness then that translates down the line and it affects other people, then I think people on that line have complete justification for you know, healing it and changing it. I wouldn't have a problem with that. Have you ever had a situation as a geomancer where you had to call upon other geomancers to help you with something? Yeah. And work in tandem with other people because whatever you were dealing with was too big for just one person? Yeah, it does happen. Can you like name what that might be, or I don't to want tell to. Me the project, no, yeah. I don't okay. want to. Okay. But there are there are instances where you need more than one or several, in fact. And those situations are pretty heavy, and it's generally due to people's misuse of power or trying to corrupt a site for their own ends. It's not something I generally talk about because obviously it has a lot of ramifications. Sure. But it does happen. There are all kinds of people out there. Some use the geomancy knowledge for good, and some don't. And that's All just right. the way it is. Okay. I want to kind of wrap this with a little bit on dousing. How did you know when you began that you were a good dowser or good enough? Well, when I started, I wasn't. Because, <laughs> you know, some people say, listen, when you douse, you have a 50-50 chance of being right or wrong. So what's the big deal? It's funny because I, I never thought I was a good dowser until I met a friend of mine, we became friends, Stefan Cardenot, who's a geobiologist in uh, Switzerland. He taught me to feel the energy of what I was dowsing, and that gave me a kind of secondary backup of what I was getting. So not only could I douse it, but I could feel it. And usually I'd feel it before I doused it. How interesting. His technique is to use your body as a measuring tool. As an instrument itself? Yeah which is pretty much what dowsing is, but it takes it to actually be able to tune in and to feel the energy you're dowsing. And depending on where it resonates in your body, you know what it is. Wow. I've learned that technique, and I, I teach that in my workshops as right. well. When's your next workshop? Maybe February, March. I haven't got them on my site yet, but working on it. And how do people find out about you? Georepairman.co.uk. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking with, learning from, and listening to Sean Kerwan. Do you want your phone number given out or just your website address? Website's great. I've got a contact form on there. You can get in touch. Very good. Yeah. I really yeah. appreciate you spending time with us. Great. I think your work is really neat. Very neat and very needed. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. It's rain-making time.